Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Selling Greenville, your favorite real estate podcast here in Greenville, South Carolina. I'm your host, as always, Stan McCune. I'm a realtor right here in the Greenville area, and you can find all of my contact information in the show notes if you need to reach out to me for any of your real estate needs. If you're looking for a buyer's agent, listing agent, or just want to talk about real estate, just let me know. All of my contact information is right there in the show notes. Um, and if you like this show, if you get something out of it, I'd appreciate if you guys could subscribe to make sure that uh, you don't miss future episodes. And please also, if you're using Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star rating and just type up a short little review. I'd just appreciate if you guys could do that. Um, that just supports the show. Um, I have a very targeted audience here, so every single review, every single rating goes really, really far because we only get a few hundred uh, hits uh, on the show per week because of, of how targeted my audience is. So every single time one of you guys leaves this show a rating or a review, it really goes a long way and it really means uh, a lot for me. So I would appreciate that. Um, this past week, oh, and by, by the way, I should, before I even get into this, um, I, I think my voice is going to hold up for this, but I was at a uh, Christian concert sing-along event uh, last night, and I've got, I, I feel like my voice is pretty much shot. Um, it's holding up pretty well at the moment. Hopefully it will hold up for the rest of this, but it, it was not in good shape uh, last night following the concert. Um, that was a blast, by the way. Um, if uh, if any of y'all are into Christian music, we have a lot of, Greenville is known for having just massive churches. We just have huge churches everywhere. I, I was um, up in the Blue Ridge area of Greer um, over the weekend, and I passed by, you know, just randomly uh, another just church that looked like a college campus. Like, they're just everywhere. Um, but anyway, we have, uh, we have plenty of, of interesting, you know, Christian concerts that happen here. In fact, the, the people I was sitting around were from, uh, Alabama and the, uh, coastal Carolina region. Um, and there were people from Canada that were there. It was just, um, it was insane to me cause I drove 10 minutes to it and I didn't even realize it didn't even occur to me that there'd be people coming from like out of state. Uh, to see that uh, that event, but it was a it was a lot of fun, um, but it did take a toll on my voice. So I, I apologize for that. I'm going to do my best here. Um, but last week I attended a an annual event that we have here in Greenville. This is the first time I've gone to it, um, but it is a housing market forecast, and it's really geared towards home builders in the Greenville area. Um, and it's performed by I believe his name is John Hunt. Um, he is over at Market Insight, and they are uh, really a, a, uh, a firm designed to help home builders kind of figure out what to do next. They're really analyzing the market um, for a long time now. They have a great track record of anticipating trends and seeing what's going to happen uh, in the future, kind of before anyone else is able to. Um, and they do this housing market forecast. I believe every year here in Greenville, I've heard of it for for the past several years, and basically they're just looking at, okay, what happened the past year, what do we think is going to happen the next year, and how does that affect real estate, particularly from the standpoint of home builders, uh, but this event was open up to, uh, to realtors as well, and so there's a lot of good information uh, for those of us just in real estate generally, not merely those that are home builders. 
So I, uh, I jotted down several notes. I found it very interesting, and I found a lot of helpful things from it. And I just kind of wanted to open the notebook for you guys for uh, what, they, what we talked about and just kind of what stood out to me in general. So first things first, a, a lot, obviously, a ton of what we talked about was inventory related, right? Because everything in the market is about supply and demand. In real estate, we call supply inventory. And so that was a massive topic of discussion because inventory obviously went insanely low during the pandemic. It has come back up. Um, and so there's a lot of like, okay, where is it now and where's it going? And we've talked about this a lot on this show, but it was interesting to hear it from an outsider's perspective because this is a person who is studying Greenville and was delivering data about Greenville, but he is not in Greenville. He's not in this market, right? Those of us in this market, our perceptions can kind of be skewed by what we're seeing anecdotally. Um, whereas someone outside of this market, just looking at the data, his opinion is not going to be skewed. So he was simply saying what the data said. Didn't matter to him, you know, what we're experiencing as realtors or what we feel like we're experiencing as realtors or home builders. Here's what the data says. And what the data said on inventory is it's still very, very low. Less than three months of inventory, no matter how you slice it or dice it, less than three months of inventory throughout the entire state of South Carolina um, and, and, of course, in Greenville. Um, and as we've talked about before, we typically consider six months of inventory to kind of be that line between a buyer and a seller's market. That's, that's where we see kind of a flat market. Now, I did say, um, I believe it was my last podcast, that maybe we need to uh, rethink buyer behavior with regard to months of inventory because it seems like buyers are now shifting their uh, behavior to uh, inventory being a lot less, but them treating it like it's a lot more. It feels when three months of inventory feels like a ton of inventory when we've had two straight years of less than two months of inventory. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. Six months of inventory right now, like if we went to, to that, I don't think it would feel like a flat market. I think it would feel very much like a massive buyer's market because of how dramatic the shift is. But maybe as we ease into uh, a, a higher inventory uh type of, of framework, for lack of a better word, um, as we ease into it, maybe buyers' behaviors will kind of return back to the norm. I don't know. Like I said in my last podcast, it's hard to, to really know if we're, going, if we're just entering a new normal um, or if we're going to see things uh, somewhat return back to a pre-pandemic norm. Right now, um, I'm, I'm operating under the assumption that we are experiencing a new normal. Nonetheless, even within that new normal framework, we still have very low inventory. Um, and regardless of buyer behavior, we need more inventory for the demand. And, uh, and, and so there are kind of two things to look at, right? How this all feels, because that's an important detail, right? When I'm working with buyers, like how do they feel? How do, how do sellers feel? Like that actually... That's not really quantifiable, right? Uh, but it's a very important detail because if sellers feel pressured, then they're going to do certain things. If buyers feel pressured, they're going to do certain things. If nobody feels pressured, 
then that impacts behavior. So we have to look at that. But then we also just have to look at the sheer data of supply and demand and what does that tell us. And from a housing perspective, looking at it just from the data, not looking at it from these anecdotal how people feel, um, John Hunt, let me double check to make sure that's a, that's the guy's correct name. One second here. I need to pull up this chart that he sent me. Uh, yes, John Hunt uh, with Via Search and Market Insight. Um, John said when, when you're looking at this data, there is no question. Inventory is low. Having less than three months of inventory, it is low. Really, it needs to be for, for people to feel like there is enough housing. There needs to be six months of inventory. And I will say... Um, from this, there, there is a very clear standpoint where I think that all buyers would agree with this, even if, like I said, there is kind of this weird element of buyers treating this market a little bit more like it's a buyer's market than it is. But here's where it's definitely not a buyer's market. There's just not a whole lot of choices out there. If you're a buyer right now, where you feel the low inventory is that, okay, I'm looking for such and so house and it doesn't exist. It's just not out there. That's the problem. And there's just not a whole lot of homes coming for sale. Maybe you're treating it like a buyer's market, but you're not actually seeing the fundamentals of the market being a buyer's market, which is when it's a buyer's market, there are tons of options available. You can choose from, you know, uh, for an example, when I was looking for a house during the Great Recession, um, every single weekend, my wife and I, would go out and look at houses, and we would have up to 10 houses to look at every single weekend. Like, that is insane. Imagine those of you that are, uh, you know, thinking about buying or, or, or in the process of looking at houses or whatever the case may be. Imagine if there were 10 eligible homes per weekend that you could look at that are just on the market. That's that's what a buyer's market looks looks like. Nobody has seen anything like that in uh, in. A decade, basically, but well, over a decade at this point. Um, so, what we need is something in between those two extremes, and that would be basically getting to uh, six months of inventory. If we did that overnight, that would be a system shock, and we would really, like I said, it would really feel like a buyer's market, even though there wouldn't be the full options of a standard buyer's market. Um, but right now, I feel like we're in a good place where where we're uh, inventory has gone up enough to give buyers some more options, um, but it hasn't gone quite to the extreme where where people just are flooded with options. Sellers don't know what to do uh, because there's way more competition than there was before. Um, and so uh, where we are right now, I think is a good spot. Although what John Hunt did indicate is that you will, we're going to continue to see low levels of inventory for a, a long time. And I, I've told you guys this multiple times because we're all looking at the same data here. Um, there's a lot of reasons to believe inventory is going to stay low for some time. It's highly unlikely that we'll reach that point of six months inventory. I just, I just don't see how that could happen barring some kind of a major, major global economic event. Um, and so we're at we're at less than three months of inventory. I'm sure we'll get above three months at some point, but at the moment, um, it's looking like it's kind of plateauing. And that was what uh, that was what John Hunt 
with Market Insight uh, saw as well from his perspective. Now, um, one thing that he pointed out that I thought was helpful because I always was curious about this because I look at that there are numbers about housing data that the government issues, the the U.S. government will issue, and frequently I actually had someone uh, that I respect on uh, on social media one time when I said about inventory levels being you know really low that they need to go above uh, six months of inventory to be a buyer's market. He posted a graph that showed that was a US government graph that showed inventory levels were above nine months. And I've seen these before as well. And it it never made sense because I'd be seeing one graph published from one publication that said two and a half months of inventory and then the US government saying that we're at nine months of inventory. Like what's going on there? Well John explained it very succinctly and that's that the government includes a lot of uh, a lot of homes in their inventory numbers that not that aren't actually homes yet. Uh, specifically, homes uh, or, or uh, permitted but not started homes. In other words, when home builders have gotten permits to uh, to start a home but haven't actually started a home yet, those are included in the government's numbers, and that's a really uh, bad thing to include in inventory numbers because that's not actual inventory. Um, and home builders will sometimes get those permits and sit on those permits and not start building for a very, very long time. So if you see uh, numbers out there that say that, that there's nine months of inventory, it's probably that data that's including uh, a bunch of homes that aren't actually homes yet. Inventory that's not actual inventory. It's like if you went into a grocery store trying to get eggs right now, and we all know that there's an egg shortage at the moment. I'm recording this in January 2023. Um, you go into a grocery store, and they're out of eggs, um, and you double-check with someone there, like, hey, I just want to make sure you guys ha- are out of eggs because I don't see any. And they say, oh, yeah, we have eggs. And you're like, okay, well, where? They're like, well, they're, they're in the chickens. Like, we have chickens that are going to lay eggs. Um, and so we have eggs. And it's like, okay, but I can't buy them? No, no, no. You, you can't buy them yet because they're still in the chickens. The chickens haven't laid them yet. Um, that <laughs> That's not having eggs available, right? Um, but that's what the uh, that's essentially what the U.S. government is doing when it's calculating these inventory numbers. It's, uh, it's counting the eggs that are still inside the chickens. Um, okay, so that aside, um, here's some more takeaways that I took from this housing market forecast. Um, we talked about the the fact that investments during an election year really slow down. People, for whatever reason, people slow down. Well, we know the reason. People slow down their investment behavior, and this includes real estate investments, uh, right before an election. So this particularly happens during October, November of an election year. But here's the funny thing. Basically, what people are doing is they're kind of feeling out the waters. They're not sure what's going to happen. They want to kind of have a sense of what's happening in the U.S. government before they, uh, you know, use their hard-earned money to make investments. Um, But it doesn't ever change consumer behavior or investment behavior after the election. And so it's almost like people just want to make sure, okay, there's not going to be something absolutely insane that happens. And as long as nothing absolutely insane happens during, uh, you know, uh, an election, then they just go back to their normal behavior. Um, And basically, 
I, I mean, I don't know what it would take for people to not go back to their normal behavior, but it would probably have to be, you know, basically us electing, you know, some kind of insane, like, neo-Nazi for president or something like that. Um, some people might make the claim that we've done that in the past. I'm not even going to get into that. Okay, let, I, let's not even go down that road. Um, but long story short, during an election year, and, and it might not feel like it uh, because it wasn't a presidential election, but this past year was an election year. And, I mean, we're now at the point where just about every year feels like an election year. Um, but the the fall numbers for real estate did appear to go down as a result of it being in an election year. And this is not something that I've really talked about very much um, so far this year. But I, I have discussed a few other reasons why we saw, uh, why we've seen a slowdown this fall. But basically, it's a three-headed monster. Um, we saw the normal seasonal drop in both supply and demand that happens all the time in the fall and winter, combined with um, the election season that also suppressed particularly buyer uh, demand, particularly investment uh, demand. And then um, all of that combined with higher mortgage rates also coming together and completing the three-headed monster. So all of these things resulted in uh, things just slowing down dramatically the past three months. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, it, it feels like all of those things have bottomed out, right? We're out of the election year, so we're, we're, we shouldn't be experiencing any more after effects from that. Um, we're starting, we'll, we'll be starting as we get into like late February, early March, we're going to start ramping up into the busy season of real estate. Um, and then a lot of indicators, and and since I last recorded this uh, podcast, there's been more indicators uh, with people, major people in the Fed, saying that they think rates need to come back down, or at least that that there needs to be no more rate increases. That for the first time, really, in a in several months now, we're starting to see, and and there's disagreement. It's not uh, completely agreed upon among Fed officials. Um, but we finally started to see uh, people, major people in the Fed saying, you know what, maybe we've done enough in terms of rate hiking, and now it's time to kind of slow down or maybe dial those rates back a little bit. So um, those, as you as you know, as, as we've talked about, that has an indirect effect on mortgage rates. And so as the Fed, um, in theory, slows down their rate increases or perhaps even decreases uh, their rates, then we'll see mortgage rates go down. And so all of these things would indicate that um, that we've kind of already seen the bottom, um, again, barring some kind of major recession. And a minor recession, I don't think will have a dramatic impact on the real estate market. I could see a major recession having... Uh, having a big impact. So we'll just have to see. In my Bold Predictions uh, podcast I did a few weeks ago, I predicted a mild recession. I don't think it's going to have a, a major impact uh, overall, but I've been wrong before. We'll just have to see. Um, with regard to mortgage rates, this was a number that I found very interesting and very helpful. Um, Market Insight predicted that the more the average mortgage rate that disproportionately impacts buyer behavior is once we get above 5.25%. In other words, 
below 5.25% doesn't, you don't see a dramatic swing in buyer behavior. You don't see a dramatic swing of people looking to purchase real estate that are, you know, just dropping out of the market. But once you get above 5.25%, you see a bunch of buyers dropping out of the market. Now they can no longer afford uh, real estate. And he didn't get into the nuts and bolts as why it's 5.25%. I'm sure that there's a variety of things in there uh, and, and a variety of things uh, that are causing that specific number to be what it is. Um, but I found that very helpful. So I'm going to be tracking these mortgage rates now. I, I already do, but, but tracking them to see if they go below 5.25%, how that really impacts real estate. Are we going to all of a sudden see a massive influx of buyers come into the market if, you know, at some point this year we see rates go down below that number? Um, he also talked about, um, and and I thought that, that this was good. I, I already knew this, but it was, the way he framed it was really helpful. You're going to see a lot of news articles in the upcoming months, and you probably already have, saying that uh, prices have gone down 25% or 30%, things like this. And these are very disingenuous, and and honestly, they're intended to deceive articles. It's clickbait at the end of the day. Prices have not gone down 30%. Prices are not likely to go down 30%. What these articles are talking about is the rate of growth slowing down. So if you see, so for instance, if we had you know, prices slow down from a 20% year-on-year uh, growth to a only a 5% year-on-year price growth appreciate price appreciation. That is a and and you take the the percent differences. That's what a 75% slowdown. I, I don't even know that that that's uh, I'd, I'd have to Google exactly how to determine the percent slow down between two percents. Um, but you would see articles, let's just say for the sake of argument, that that's a 75% slowdown. That's not saying that prices have gone down 75%. They still went up 5%. But in comparison to the year before when they went up 20% year on year, that is a 75% or whatever it is, slowdown. And so those are the types of articles that you're seeing. And I've had people tell me, oh, uh, my buddy who's a realtor told me that prices are going to go down 40% this year. Well, your buddy who's a realtor has taken hook, line, and sinker uh, the clickbait that's out there. It is very, very unlikely that prices are going to go down that much. Is it impossible? No, nothing's impossible. But even during the Great Recession, we didn't see prices go down like that. Like that would be, we're talking about like an asteroid hitting uh, hitting the U.S. and like wiping out uh, half the population. That's what it would take for prices to actually go down 40% in my in my personal opinion. So uh, don't take that clickbait. Understand that uh, what we're seeing right now, I'm not saying prices won't go down year on year. And as I talked about, I believe last week, um, there have been even normal months where prices have gone down year on year just in a standard month, just kind of a fluky month where we saw that happen. Um, but when you look at year on year, in the long trend, it always continues to go up in a normal year. And that's what all indicators are that we're going to see that happen in 2023. Now, what is a normal year? This was a, this was an interesting one as well. Going back, I believe it was 47 years, the normal rate of appreciation for a home 
is 4.6%. File that away in your mind. That'll be helpful. I'm, I'm definitely going to be referring back to that number at some point in the future because that was a number I'd, I'd never heard before. It was extremely helpful, and it, it really gives you a sense. Okay, if I'm investing in real estate, what can I expect? You can expect 4.6% appreciation. Now, that's not the only thing when you're investing in real estate that you get, right? If you have rental properties, you get uh, also potential, if you do it right, you get cash flow. And uh, if you talk to your accountant, probably some uh, some opportunities to write some things off on taxes as well. And so, uh, so the appreciation at 4.6%, if you're a real estate investor, it's just kind of gravy on top of everything else. Um, but 4.6%, that's the normal. And so... Um, what John did was he then took that number and then kind of tried to figure out, okay, what does this mean for like what's happened in real estate the past several years, right? Because we've seen like some a couple of years in a row now where we've seen like 15 to 20% appreciation in the Greenville market. And that seems scary, right? You And I'm sure you've seen articles out there saying, oh, we're in a housing bubble. Prob- I'm sure you've seen your friends on social media. Oh, we're, we're definitely in a housing bubble. There's no way things, prices, you know, can't possibly go up 20% year on year. It doesn't work that way. Um, and he specifically referenced that he saw a lot of articles um, basically comparing the market now to what it was in like 2011, 2012. Well, 2011, 2012, prices were insanely cheap because we had just come out of the Great Recession. And so, uh, you know, these kids that are writing these articles trying to compare the market now to then, they simply, they don't know what they're doing. They're not comparing uh, correct data. And so he said, "Well, well, when was the market last normal? He made the argument that the last time we had a normal market was 2002. And the reason he felt that way was that after 2002, we started to actually see the housing bubble begin uh, due to you know poor lending practices and all sorts of different things that caused then the market to really start to see insane appreciation that it should not have seen. It was artificially bloated appreciation. And so the market between 2003 and 2007 went crazy. Prices skyrocketed in artificial ways. Uh, And so 2002 was the last quote-unquote normal year, so basically 20 years ago. Then we saw prices skyrocket, and then the Great Recession happened, the bubble burst, and then prices went way, 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 way down, right, In in comparison to where they had been. Um, and so, obviously, since then, prices have been gradually going up. And then we see this spike here in the past couple of years. Now, here's what's interesting. When you go back to 2002 and you add 4.6% appreciation to every year, let's say you, you just assume 4.6% appreciation starting in 2002 and going through 2022, you basically get to the number that we landed at in terms of median prices at the end of 2022. So his argument was that actually what's happened the past couple of years with prices all of a sudden skyrocketing in this post, you know, in this pandemic or post-pandemic environment was actually a proper correction. That what happened right before the Great Recession, that was an artificial increase of value. Um, and then when uh, when prices went down, when uh, demand and everything dramatically slowed during the Great Recession, that was like an artificial overcorrection. And now, here we are, 
back where we should have been. If we hadn't had all of these ups and downs over all of these years, here we are in 2023 seeing prices where they would have been had we just had the market continue at that normal 4.6% rate. Now, is he right? I have no idea, but it's a very interesting idea. It's it's definitely food for thought, um, and I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. He's got a very good track record for being right when it comes to this kind of stuff, so I think he, he deserves the benefit of the doubt. But that is there is your argument. There That is the most compelling argument that I've seen um, from just a standard rate of appreciation standpoint that we are not in some sort of a bubble. Um, and, and there's fundamentals behind this. this is, it might all sound theoretical, um, but there is actual... Um, there, there are true fundamentals behind why, uh, why we can believe that that is an accurate statement that we're not in a bubble that 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 demand and prices are uh, where they should be, and that's really because the past three years, millennials, my generation, have really come of age from a home buying perspective, um, and then you also have the boomer generation, which is sitting on the largest stockpile of cash in the history of the U.S. The baby boomer generation has more cash than any generation that this country has ever seen. And they are buying up a lot of real estate. So we have, and and this was also very interesting. There was a, there's a common thread between millennials and baby boomers that we haven't really seen before. And that is both of them, on average, do not have children. The baby boomer children have already left, and my generation uh, is either not having children or waiting until you know late 30s or maybe even early 40s uh, before having children. And so this is what is really driving the real estate market right now is that you've got these two generations uh, that both have a, a good bit of money baby boomers because they've accrued it over all these years and now are empty nesters, millennials uh, because they aren't having children, so they've been saving up their money for all these years and now having dual income uh, households and all of these sorts of things. And so the market is really being driven uh, by these two generations. Of course, uh, I wanted to ask, I never got around to it, what's going on with Gen X, right? Um, Now, I, I actually heard a podcast a couple of years ago that uh, Gen X actually, and and had I had, you know, an opportunity, I, w- I would have discussed this with John. It just didn't work out. Um, but, and, and I actually mentioned this on my po- podcast after I heard this a couple of years ago, but that there's actually a phenomenon where Gen Xers, a, a lot of them never bought their first house for a, uh, until the pandemic because of so much hesitancy after the Great Recession, they went through that Great Recession. Gen X got destroyed by the Great Recession, so they saw their their net worth go down disproportionately, and then they they uh, in theory developed the skepticism towards housing that led them to get into the cycle of renting for a long time. And then the pandemic happened. The pandemic did not wipe out housing, and so all of a sudden, these sleepy Gen Xers, which was what the podcast that I had to listen to, which by the way, if you want to, if you want to know what podcast it is, it's called Odd Lots. It's a very good podcast, just kind of on the economy in general. Um, but it also talks about housing occasionally. 
um, but they called them sleepy Gen Xers uh, that hadn't bought their first house until, you know, like their 40s. And now they finally enter the market during the pandemic. So I think that I think maybe John actually underestimated the impact of Gen X. He basically said that they weren't having any impact or he, he didn't say that, but he kind of implied that. Um, but I think that that's another reason why the housing market has been where it is with all of this demand. There's pent up demand that got unleashed during the pandemic and it's not going away because baby boomers are still going to be buying houses. I mean, I have several uh, baby boomer clients that are buying investment properties in addition to relocating, in addition to buying vacation homes. Um, And then you've got millennials doing some similar things as well. And then you've got these sleepy Gen Xers also that are becoming aggressive now with housing uh, and, and real estate purchases now that they realize that it, they're not just going to see a, a housing bubble burst every 10 years. And so the fundamentals are there for uh, for the demand continuing to be strong here in the future. Um, but when it comes to supply, when it comes to inventory, we have a we have a problem, right? Um, and he got into this towards the end of, of one of his sessions that I was at where he talked about one of the major problems with the our inventory shortage is that it's fueled by zoning laws, and, and I've actually talked about this quite a bit on this podcast um, at various times. Um, but he really got into the concept of the missing middle. Um, if you want to Google that and look that up, be my guest. I'm not going to get into that uh, too much in detail here. But he approached it from the angle of zoning laws are really preventing the kind of uh, high-density housing, or or more like mid-density housing, that used to be a big part of of the the nation's real estate fabric 40, 50 years ago. And specifically, it was townhomes, duplexes, triplexes, and quadruplexes. What we're seeing right now is a lot of single-family homes being built. Well, not a lot, but we're seeing single-family homes being built and apartments. And Apartments aren't for everyone. Not everyone wants to wants to have a, an apartment lifestyle. And from a single family standpoint, with prices going up, not everyone can afford a single family detached house. And so what? And so this is the missing middle. This more higher high density, but not as high as apartment living, where you've got multiple units attached to each other uh, that people can buy or or people can rent, and. Zoning laws have made it very, very difficult for uh, builders to build these types of homes. And so that is simply driving the inventory shortage. Um, And he mentioned, you know, what a lot of people don't realize, and this is true to this day, is that zoning laws inherently have racist roots, okay? And he referenced Atlanta used to have basically two types of zoning, the city of Atlanta, which is a kind of a cousin city to Greenville. A lot of what happens in Atlanta happens in Greenville. Um, Atlanta used to have basically two uh, zoning classifications, R1 and R2. R1 was white. You could live here if you were white. And R2 was black. You could live there if you were black. That was when Atlanta first introduced zoning. That was the basis point. That was how they started. Well, eventually the court said, sorry, 
we can't do that. You can't discriminate on the, you know, in, in your zoning on the basis of race. And so then Atlanta said, okay, so then we'll, we're just going to make R1 uh, single family detached homes and R2 apartments. <laughs> and so, well, guess what? R1, uh, those single family homes were the more expensive ones. R2, the apartments, they were the cheaper ones. And knowing, you know, what that racial uh, income disparity was in Atlanta, they were basically keeping the status quo. They were basically saying, okay, um, in these neighborhoods that are black, we're only going to allow apartments. In these neighborhoods that are white, we're only going to allow single family homes. And so zoning was a a bad bill of goods from the get-go, a terrible idea. Uh, I, I shouldn't say that zoning itself is a terrible idea, but when it was instituted on uh, on a racial footing, yes, terrible idea. And right now, it's being weaponized in different ways. That honestly, if you go to the 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 grassroots of it, I think that there's a lot of racial underpinnings with a lot of the zoning laws that are uh, being passed today, and I and we're paying for it to this day. At the at the end of the day, that is something that we have to to grapple with, um, and that we have to to deal with. That is a problem when we have inventory problems, and we don't have enough uh, supply to meet the demand, and municipalities are passing increased zoning laws to prevent uh, this type of middle housing, duplexes and triplexes, and townhomes and things like that. That would help to bring more affordable housing uh, to people in the middle. That's a problem. Like we need to really rethink this whole zoning thing in general. And that was a, a big point that he made that I thought was really timely and I thought uh, was really helpful. And Greenville right now we have a lot of uh, what some of you might know as NIMBYism. Um, NIMBY stands for not in my backyard. A lot of people, they don't want developments happening in their backyard. They don't want to see, you know, the land that their neighbor, you know, owns a mile down the street, sold to a developer, cleared out in a big subdivision. They don't want that to happen. Uh, but the reality is that sometimes, uh, sometimes we need to take the, the big picture on this, right? Do you want your children to be able to afford a home before they turn 45 or not? Right now, um, I'm concerned that without my own intervention, without me having to majorly financially assist my children, that the way the things are going, that there is just no way. You know, I I afforded a home in my early 20s. My first home was in my early 20s. That was a huge, huge thing for me. I would not be where I am financially today if I wasn't able to purchase a home in my early 20s. I don't see any way that my children's generation will be able to do that without financial assistance uh, from their parents. And probably what's going to happen is that the government will kick in. The government will be like, well, you know what? We've got to take control of this. Um, And then we've all seen how that goes. It's just going to be another social program um, that will then cause increases in inflation, et cetera, et cetera. We, We know where this ends up. Um, and so that's why the zoning part of it is important. Um, and that's why when you go to those town halls tempted to oppose 
a new development that's going in near where you live, maybe take a step back and think about it. Think about, you know what? Is is it worth it for me to oppose this? Or would this actually be better for the area and for upcoming generations if we have more housing in this area? From a, a data standpoint, absolutely. From a meta standpoint, absolutely. For you personally, I can't speak to that. Um, but I do think we need to take into stronger consideration uh, these uh, meta considerations and as well, of course, the history of what we've done in this country, how we've used zoning to suppress certain people groups, um, and that's still happening uh, to this day. So um, not to end on a negative note, but that that's pretty much all I have uh, in my notebook from the housing market forecast. And I hope that that was helpful. A lot of very interesting things for me. Hopefully that was interesting to you guys. If you have any questions, let me know. My contact information is in the show notes. Please subscribe, rate, and review to the show, and we will talk again next time. 